1: Thanks for joining us today. To introduce myself, I'm Justin Jacobson. For the last decade, I've been an eSports video game and entertainment attorney in New York City. In that role, I handle the legal and business matters for professional athletes, musicians, fashion designers, video game companies, and all creative individuals and companies. I've also expanded the eSports and video game world for the last seven years where I've worked with professional gamers and streamers and content creators and coaches and teams and other brands, and companies in the space. I also teach eSports and video game business courses at several universities, including at University of North Carolina, Wilmington, Post University in Connecticut, and Harrisburg University. And I've authored the first eSports business and legal book, The Essential Guide to the Business and Law of eSports and Professional Video Gaming. So if anyone has any questions on myself or the lecture, please submit them in the Discord or... Via email to Justin at JMJESQ.com or LinkedIn, Justin M. Jacobson, or on Twitter, Justin J. E. S. Q. As my DMs are open and I'm always happy to connect. So before we start, just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, because all of it is intended as educational information only. So please use it as such. So just another thank you to all the attendees for tuning in, and thanks to the event host for the opportunity to speak for everyone, and I hope you enjoy it. So today we're going to explore several legal matters for professional gamers and streamers. So to set the stage a little, today we're speaking about professional gamers. So these are individuals who utilize video games to make a living. So this encompasses professional competitive gamers who compete in tournaments and leagues for prize money, sometimes hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. So it's content creators and streamers, cosplayers, or really any other individual involved in this world, people that create or stream video game content on social media and streaming platforms such as TikTok and YouTube and Twitch and Instagram and many others. So that's kind of the individuals that we're talking about today. The lecture will look at a few different legal considerations for the professional gaming talent. And we're going to start with an exploration of two common intellectual property law considerations, which are copyrights and trademarks. So we'll first start by discussing copyright law and looking at first what is a copyright. So copyright law grants the owner for protected work with the exclusive right for a limited time to have the right to the work. And in the U.S., the life is the life of the author plus 70 years after their death. So to be eligible for copyright protection, a work must be original and must be fixed in a tangible form. So this means a song that's recorded in an MP3 or WAV file, a photograph that's saved as a JPEG, or a video game that's saved as a file on your computer. So many different types of work are entitled to copyright protection. These include original literary works, books, screenplays, dramatic works, you know, plays that are performed on stage musical works including song lyrics as well as the recorded music themselves audiovisual works so movies and tv shows and any graphic artistic work so this includes logos cartoons comics and video games really anything that's created in the u.s a copyright owner has five exclusive rights in their protected work This is the right to reproduce the work so they can make copies of it or authorize other parties, which is a license, to create copies of it. So this might be selling copies of a book or selling a video game digitally or physically on a disc or selling any items that contain a protected copyrighted work, such as a player's logo or name or photo of them or anything else they've created. The right to distribute the work, to actually take the copyrighted work and use it for a commercial purpose. The right to prepare derivative works based on the original one. So to take an image and to then create something else based on it. So essentially the underlying property and anything else related to the characters or the elements of it. The right to public perform the work. So to actually publicly play a song in a nightclub or to display a t-shirt design with gamers Face or logo on it publicly for sale. They actually publicly display the game or the copyrighted work. So, this means that the copyright owner has the right to approve others to create any derivative works. So, this could be a professional gamer p- approving a merchandise or a peripheral company using their name or their logo on specific items. So, there's a few unique things that relate to copyright law in the esports and the gaming space. So copyright protection for an actual video game itself is actually pretty unique as there's actually two copyrights within a video game. You actually have the protection for the underlying software code as a literary work and as the artwork and the sound as an audiovisual work. So that means all the different audio elements, the musical compositions, the sound recordings, the character voiceovers, the internal sound effects, all the music that are in the game, unless it's someone else's, could be copyrighted. Same with all the audio and the visual elements. So everything that you see, the images in the game, the video animations, the character animations, the maps. And then that's with the computer code itself, the source code and the object code. So as a streamer, a professional gamer, you might obtain copyright protection for a player logo if you have a unique one designed, any custom merchandise you might have, as well as anything that might have their gamer tag or face on it. You could also potentially copyright your individual website as a streamer or professional gamer or any social media banners or headers that are created, any Twitch overlays or emotes, any photographs or images or videos or thumbnail graphics or any audio visual works that are created by the streamer. So really any of these creative works that you may make on your own, whether there's videos or sound recordings or both, could be protected and could be licensed, and it's important to be aware of that. So another important consideration is trademark law. So in addition to copyright law, another relevant IP protection for professional gamers and streamers is using trademark law. So trademark law provides protection and provides the owner of a mark with the exclusive right to use the mark for specific goods or services. So what that means is that trademark protection may apply to a company or brand name, a catchphrase or or slogan, a logo design, a smell, a sound, a color, even a hashtag when it's used for marketing or as a way to indicate the source of a particular good or service. So this means that trademarks and service marks exist To identify and distinguish the source of a good or service to the consuming public from another. So a professional gamer or streamer may be providing live streaming services or endorsement services or professional gaming services or content creation or selling apparel or clothing. Or game peripherals or really any product with their name on it. As we see individuals expanding into consumer products, whether it's their own name on it or other brands that they may own. So, trademark protection in the US exists at both the federal as well as state level. So, you can get protection federally through the USPTO or statewide and just each individual state. And under trademark law, a mark can either be described as fanciful, arbitrary, suggestive, descriptive, or generic. So, fanciful marks are those that have no meaning other than to act as a source of a good or service. This is very rare, and most marks really don't fit into this. An arbitrary mark is one that has no relation to the goods or services, so the name really has no relation to what you're providing, whereas a suggestive mark is one that suggests the quality or characteristic of the goods or services. So while it doesn't specifically say a good, it talks about a specific element of it, and then you have a descriptive mark which might describe the service or the good provided, which really isn't protectable. Nor is a generic mark, because if it's generic, then it doesn't identify, and distinguish the source of the good. So what's unique is that there are two filing systems that exist. There's the first to file system, which is in countries such as China and France, which gives trademark protection to the first person or entity to file for trademark protection in the name. It doesn't matter who uses it first. So it's important to be aware that depending on where you operate and where you're your company, your brand as a streamer or content creator might grow, what countries you might look into, depending on where you're based and where you operate. Obviously, you know, esports and in the gaming world is global. So having international considerations, especially for trademark and brand protection as your gamer tag or your name and, you know, the name, image, and likeness, it's really important to be aware of the different international considerations, especially in some of the larger markets such as China and Japan and, some Latin and South America countries, as we know that the esports and gaming space is very global, and through all the digital, you know, avenues that exist, you could really get your content globally pretty easily. And as a result of acting globally, you have to protect yourself globally, which includes trademark protection in countries like the US as well as other places. So in addition to the first-to-file system, there's a first-to-use system, which is what's filed here in the U.S., where trademark rights are provided to the first person to use the mark in commerce for their particular good or service. So if you're the first party to start using a name and selling product under it, if you're the original gamer using it and everyone's knowing it and it's publicly known, then you develop rights, whereas in other countries you have to be the first to file to develop these rights. So in addition to an actual use trademark in the US, you have the ability to do an intent to use trademark, which is where an application is filed to reserve a name that a party intends to use. So if you're a streamer, a content creator that maybe wants to launch a clothing company or, you know, an energy drink or food company or any other kind of beverage company or literally anything that's not your name, you might use this as a way to protect that because you're starting to see from Mr. Beast launching his own candy company and burger company to other content creators and streamers launching their own energy drinks and game development firms and whiskeys and other liquors. There's a lot of opportunities to develop ancillary businesses. So you have to protect those businesses the same way you might do your gamertag. So there are many benefits to registering a trademark. First off, there's a presumption of validity that it's you own the rights after five years of using it, which is very beneficial. It can also be used to prevent others from using it or anything that's confusingly similar to it. So if you have a protected mark, others can't use it for the same good or something that's pretty similar to yours, which is very beneficial. You Also, having your registration provides you with the ability to file an infringement claim with many social media platforms if there's any infringing accounts or materials that are yours. So this includes Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and Twitch, who all will you know, adhere to a federally registered trademark for a name. It also allows a party to sell or license this, as well as the goodwill associated with it, and also gives you the ability to contact the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, which helps prevent infringing or counterfeit goods from entering the market, and really kind of helps protect the the gamer and the streamers overall brand by ensuring that there isn't you know knockoff merchandise being sold they're not selling peripherals containing your image without your approval or that are, you know just not what they should be if you have unlicensed material out there you want to get it off the market so trademark protection in the esports and gaming world is very unique and competitive gamer or streamer might protect their in-game name which is their gamer tag as well as maybe their own unique logo design as well as any product that they create as we had just kind of alluded to but it's really important to be aware that an application and protection for a logo is different than that for a gamer tag is these are two distinct trademarks so if someone's looking to protect their gamer tag as well as a unique logo, you'd actually be filing two applications because the word mark only applies to the gamer tag, whereas the logo is a design mark that protects that particular design. So it's really just important to know that if you have a logo that you as a streamer or pro gamer want to use, want to license, want to create merchandise that you're putting it on, you want to create hats or hoodies or anything else, that these are things that you have to protect. And when you're applying for protection. There's a lot of different international classes that you might apply for protection in. There are actually 45 of them. However, not all of them may be applicable. So we're going to look at a few that might be interesting and could be looked at for, you know, professional gamers and streamers. For instance, one could look at class 009, which is for different types of computer equipment, such as computer hardware, computer keyboards, monitors, computer mice, and mouse pads, all these different computer pieces and peripherals. Then there's also International Class 25, which is for various clothing items and different merchandise, so T-shirts and hats and hoodies and sweatshirts and pants and all these different items that a streamer or gamer might put their name or likeness on. Then there's actually Class 029, And 028, which actually 028, which is for gaming mice, gaming keyboards, and gaming headsets, which is unique, which is a little different than just traditional computer keyboards, where these are more high-performance and specific gaming ones, as opposed to just the everyday keyboard or mice that you might get. And then there might be also International Class 035, which is the provision of endorsement advertising services. So this is really promoting the goods and services of others. So this is as a streamer or a gamer, what you're doing on behalf of a brand or the team, you're providing these kind of services under this name. So this would definitely be something that you might look at. And then another really common one is actually class 041, which is providing entertainment services. So this is the live streaming or the competitive gaming or content creation or any of the entertainment that the creator is providing would be probably covered under this class. So again, these might be in addition to any other classes that might be applicable for that particular application. As there are many, as we mentioned, there are 45 different classes. So there are a lot of different items that a brand can be, you know, sold in and develop into and it gives you a lot of opportunities depending on what you're trying to do for your business and how you're trying to grow it to really expand. So, yeah, this is actually not that novel of a concept. There are actually many different pro gamers and top streamers that are already kind of embracing this um, usage as some have already applied for or even received protection, including Ninja, who's applied for his gamertag and his logo. Dr. Lupo, who applied for his gamertag, as well as his unique D logo. Tim the Tatman, who's applied for his gamertag in several categories tfue as well and nade shot who's applied in various categories including dietary nutrition supplements video game controllers and courage jd for his gamer tag and pewdiepie for various different services and shroud as well as mr beast so as mentioned there's a lot of different ways that a streamer or gamer might utilize trademark trademark law and trademark protections that exist to protect their gamer tag, to ensure that nobody else can use it for profit. They can control how it's used by owning the rights in it. They can license the companies to actually utilize it. And having this registered mark lets you legally protect, say that you have this right, that others can't use it and that you could police the usage of it. So people can't use your name without your rights. And if they do, it gives you a legal recourse against them. If you don't have this, you don't have as strong of an argument. You might have to then go out and get the registration anyway in order to strengthen your argument. So there's a lot of benefits and a lot of things that you know gamers and streamers should be aware of related to both intellectual property, the copyrights as we mentioned, as well as now the trademarks that we just looked at. So... You know to kind of bring that together, it's important to be aware that copyrights and trademarks are different. Whereas trademarks would really just apply to protecting a name or logo, kind of your brand. So as a professional gamer or streamer, that's what your imagery is, what your colors are. If you have you know a certain introduction logo or sound or anthem, these are all protectable things. If you have an animation that you use, these are all protectable things. So it's definitely good to be aware of that. So, now we're going to shift a little bit from intellectual property law to looking at more kind of business law matters. So, in addition to copyright and trademark management, as we discussed, it's important for a creator or a competitor to use business and corporate law to form business entities to protect their assets and to effectively structure and operate their business. So, in these cases, a competitive gamer or streamer might create a loan out company to receive the businesses. The benefits that a business entity such as a corporation or an LLC, which is a limited liability company, might afford the owner. I mean, it's important to be aware that different states have different requirements and fees. So, depending on where you're located and where you're operating at, an attorney or an accountant or other CPA should be consulted prior to selecting the appropriate entity, whether it's a corporation or a sub S or an LLC. And which state to form it in is all different states might have different requirements, depending on if you're a resident of the state or not. So again, we were just talking general, the benefits of it. But again, each state and different jurisdictions have different requirements and fees and benefits. So it's important to explore all of those before you select and kind of form one. But ultimately, all of these different limited liability entities exist to shield the owner's from personal liability for any contracts or any arrangements entered into them by the gamer. So this means that the entity, not the actual owner themselves, is liable for any debts or debts or contractual obligations of the business, which means another party cannot recover against the individual's personal assets, which could be their personal bank accounts, any real estate they own, any cars, stocks, or any other assets personally owned by them. In addition to personal asset shields that a business entity might provide the owner, there are also other unique benefits. One is that having a separate business entity allows the gamer to open a business bank account in an assumed name where they can actually operate from and conduct their business. So this really facilitates the easy tracking of different gamer expenses and income and really permits the deduction and writing off of relevant properly documented business expenses as well as first third-party investments that might come in. So by having this entity, it lets you really structure and operate your business so that as it grows and as you earn more money, you could really um, maximize it. Also, having a formal entity is beneficial because it's usually governed by a written contract that outlaws – how the business is going to operate, how any losses and profits are split, as well as how to add any new owners or remove them. So obviously, as a business may grow, there may be new owners and maybe people are involved. You might take on a third-party investor to fund certain projects. So having an entity gives a flexibility to do this. It also provides easy management over any IP owned by The business itself. So you can register copyrights and trademarks owned by the LLC, which is then owned by the gamer. And it provides easy licensing. So instead of the IP being owned personally by the gamer, it's owned by the LLC. And that's who licenses it on behalf of them. And that's who collects all the income. And that's what everything kind of operates through. It also does similar for any tangible property owned, so any equipment computers real estate property can be owned by the entity itself supposed to personally owned by the individual the existence of an entity also helps them obtain a tax id or ein which is an employer identification number which may be required for certain business especially when working with third parties so there's a lot of benefits that having this business entity exist But one of the most unique ones that kind of bridges the next topic is the ability to properly structure an income that a professional gamer or streamer has and how tax law implicates and affects that. So as with most occupations, all U.S. residents are subject to personal income tax, usually federal, on any income that they earn. So in in particular, streamers and professional gamers are subject to federal income tax that's paid to the IRS on their worldwide income. Additionally, some of these individuals may be responsible for paying income in every country, state, and sometimes city or county that they work in and earn income from. So some states have personal income tax and some don't. However, in addition to federal income tax and sometimes state income tax, there's been a rise in new state legislation that are intended to tax the personal income earned in a state by a non resident So this is commonly referred to as a jock tax and applies to any income earned in a particular state by a non-resident of that state. So the taxable income is based on the percentage of duty days that the individual spends and earns income within that state. So a duty day is defined as the day that a professional provides some form of work on behalf of their employer in the state. So this could be a media or sponsorship appearance, a practice or team scrimmage, participation in a tournament or a match. So this means that a professional gamer or streamer is subject to federal income tax, which is payable to IRS, and the state income tax wherever they reside, depending on where they reside, and then potentially any other state or country that they earn income from. So this means that if a gamer must pay taxes to the states and countries that they operate in. So if you're a professional gamer playing in L.A. for tournaments but living in another state, you may have to pay California you know, non-resident state income tax. So a state income tax in the country, in the state that you live in, as well as federal income tax. In addition to income tax on this, there are other streams of income that are taxed by the gamer. So any income that's earned through stream and social media platforms, so um, the ad revenue, any subscriptions or subs, any bits or stars, any donations or tips, this is all characterizes income that is taxed. If a professional gamer or streamer earns a salary, they're usually paid as an independent contractor from a team or a sponsor. And then that's usually the streamer or the gamer usually responsible for paying themselves. If there's any prize money earned, they usually have to pay income tax on And that's usually determined based on the location of the tournament, whether it's an online tournament or an in-person one. So it's really important to realize that donations, even though... They're called donations, aren't actually ta- non-taxable. You know, write-off that you might think of a charitable donation as as a streamer or gamer. You're not a charity, so you're not acting as a non-for-profit, so you can't actually take donations in that form. So it's really all income, and it's really interesting to think about it that way. So as mentioned, any sponsorship income that a gamer receives, they have to pay taxes on. And there's also have to be taxed on any free or fringe benefits provided. So if you provide a free PC or airline mileage or food or other kind of free products, you might have to be taxed on the fair market value of that so that any benefits that you're receiving, there's applicable taxes there. So now we talked about all the different things that could be taxed the existence of an entity and proper tax management and business management will actually allow talent, professional gamers and streamers, to position themselves to get some unique tax write-offs and deductions that are really available to an LLC or a gamer in an effort to decrease their overall net income, which thus decreases the amount of taxable income and the amount that they have to pay. So you have to really understand that having this entity that we discussed Really help structure this. That having this business that you're operating, you're earning income, and now you have all these expenses that we're going to go into. It really allows the you know taxes to be filed properly, to get and operate the business properly. And as a gamer or a streamer, you have to think of yourself as a business. That the same way the music business, you're an artist who sells merchandise you sell music you tour you do all these things you're a gamer or a streamer you sell merchandise you compete in tournaments you do sponsorship opportunities you do meeting greets you sell you know hats and t-shirts so you're doing all of these things you're getting donations you're getting advertisement revenue from social media from your streaming platforms so there's a lot of different income streams and in order to maximize how much you earn these loan-out companies and then kind of the tax write-offs and how you structure everything kind of come into play. So unique about professional gamers and streamers are some of the kind of the potential write-offs that exist and that you might not really think about. So there actually could be deductions for the cost of the game. So a person that purchases a game that they stream, you could actually get the cost for the game you play as well as any in-game purchases, such as battle passes or loot boxes or skins. As purchasing these items help unlock the full potential of the game. And therefore provides opportunity for better content as well as better viewing experiences. Also, you might actually be creating content based on a new skin or a new battle pass or a new character or anything else that's released in the game. So these are your business. So you're creating these business assets. So it gives you the ability to potentially write these things off. So if you're buying a new game, you're buying, as we mentioned, a skin or a loot box or a battle pass. These could all be you know, deductions if you structure it properly and understand that this is all part of your business and it's operating your business properly. Additionally, any marketing or promotional services used to actually promote your stream or any content that's created or yourself as an artist or you as a creator, as a gamer, as a streamer. So you as the talent or influencer. So this can include Facebook or Instagram paid boost or Twitter ads or any promotional items created for giveaways or contests. So if you get VC or loot box or any other in-game currency to give out for giveaways this could all be potential business write-offs because it's marketing promotion to help grow your business to grow your channels to grow your social media which is what your business is so it's really unique to kind of think about that also any website designs if you hire website creators any graphic and thumbnail designs any videos and the videographers and the video editors so all of these content pieces if you're working with third parties and you're getting it commissioned all of this money could be tax write offs it's all related to the operation of your business so it's really important to structure things that way and that way you can potentially get these relevant write-offs <laughs>
0: You've got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash indie game business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so so many, so many. It's a safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games, or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck, Finding a publisher and more. Remember it's discord.gg/indie game business.
1: In addition to some of these creative assets, you actually might be able to recoup the costs of any video recording and editing equipment, any software that's used for any of that stuff, any data data storage or broadcasting software and the internet costs related. These are all potentially business related aspects because as a professional gamer or streamer or content creator, Going live, editing videos, having potential stream labs and other streaming softwares is all part of your job. You need to have certain stream elements and overlays and emotes and graphics and all these things in order for the presentation. And these are all notable expenses. Additionally, Any of the costs related to filing of any copyrights or trademarks, you know, the stuff that we mentioned a little bit earlier, because these are your protected assets. They're the business assets of the company. Any meal and travel associated with actually producing any gaming content. So if you have to go on location to create it, these might be expenses. If you have to go on location or go somewhere for a tournament or an event related to it or a panel or a conference, any other educational or business development opportunity, Those costs, the hotel, the lodging, transportation, any cost to get into it, they could all be potential business write-offs. So as a gamer or streamer, it's important to be aware of this, that what you're doing in fulfilling and in marketing and growing your business is all related to it. And as a result, could all be write-offs that you could be eligible to get a benefit from. Related to this is actually the equipment or furniture that's used, so you're talking about the streaming equipment, PCs, PC parts, cords and cables, monitors, monitor mounts, cameras, you know, camera lenses, keyboards, mice, microphones, controllers, lights, chairs, desks, really anything related to your stream or your professional gamer. If you have a controller or you have to get a certain PC part, this is what's necessary in order for you to do your job, which is the compete or to stream. So all of these things are business related assets and expenses. There could also be equipment rental costs. So if you have to rent a drone or any other props for any content creation or for streaming, if you have to get a green screen or anything else, these are all potential documented expenses. Additionally, there for independent players or streamers, you could talk about housing costs. If you're having a gaming house or apartment, any training costs, if you have hire any coaches to help you, any physical or mental trainers or, or anything related that helps you do your job. Potentially, if there's boot camps, so if you're training for a particular tournament or event, the cost related to that could potentially be recoupable. So again, it's important to be aware that any individuals that you hire to do stuff on behalf of you, whether it's PR or accountants or lawyers or business managers or videographers or photographers or thumbnail designers, the money that you spend, the expense that you incur should be documented and could be invoiced through your company and should be documented business expenses. So additionally, anything related to data storage or cloud storage or file hosting so if you have to you know have certain you know technology or services or software in order to do your job those could all be recoupable additionally anything that's related to the stream ambiance and backdrop so if you have lights and led signs and shelves and the items on the shelves and posters and diffusers and really anything that kind of sets the mood for the show your production which is your stream or your gaming setup that's part of your business and could t- potentially could be a write off finally you could have you know any ad apps or software subscriptions or music subscription fees so if you have to use adobe or microsoft office or you know stream deck software or stream broadcasting software all these software costs could be recoupable and could be business expenses because they're all related to the operation of your business so, overall, the better documented expenses and the better use of different business entities really can help gamers and streamers optimize their income and really put in a position to earn as much of it as they can as the more you're able to document and the more plausible business expenses that you're able to show, the more likely you're able to recover those costs. So you know, I know we have a few more minutes, so we're gonna look quickly look at a few other kind of legal matters, and then kind of turn it over to any questions that we might have had. So if you have any questions, please feel free to submit them in the chats or discord or wherever else you can. So in addition to business and IP protection for non-U.S. citizens that are wishing to enter the U.S. for business or commercial purposes, they might need to have proper work authorization, which is the form of a visa. So if you're a professional or a gamer or a streamer, who's a non-U.S. citizen and you want to come to compete as a professional gamer here in the U.S., compete in a tournament or league here in the U.S., work with a U.S.-based company, receive a sponsorship or appearance deal, you're going to need a visa or work authorization. So in order to do this, it's important to be aware that you can have an O-1 or P-1 visa, which depending on the level of notoriety of the gamer or streamer, that might be applicable to them. And it's important to be aware that there's a large backlog and you know the, the actual visa process so there's a premium processing option which is a bit more costly but really provides with you know an answer and being able to get the visa in a much more timely process because in addition to actually applying the u.s for the visa once it's issued you actually have to go to your local country's consulate to actually get the visa stamped and to get the final approval so there's also a wait time there and depending on where you're located Some largest cities, it could be, you know, seven to ten days, two weeks or longer. So, you know, again, this is really only applicable to non-U.S. citizens that are gamers and streamers. But again, as we mentioned earlier, because the scene in the industry is so global, it's important to be aware that if you're, you know, in Canada or Mexico or Europe or anywhere else and you're being signed to an esports team or coming to a tournament here to compete or working with a brand, you might need a visa. And these visas kind of have different prongs, but some inf- information that you might submit include, you know, a formal invitation or a contract with this professional esports organization or a letter from the game developer or the tournament organizer or anything else that really kind of substantiates the player or the streamer's notoriety to say that they are a prominent esports competitor or talent. So, any past records or rewards or anything that they've earned as well as opinion advisory letters from a game developer or a league organizer and recommendation letters from notable industry professionals that confirm the high level that the game or streamer has achieved. Again, there's lots of different prongs that are related to it, but it's a really important legal consideration for non-U.S. citizens that are trying to work with U.S. companies in this space to be aware of. Related to kind of the earlier issue with licensing is the kind of the use of music on stream and for content created works. So pro gamers and streamers use music when they're streaming as well as for creating content. And generally, in order to do this, you need a license or rights from the rights holder. And this is usually obtained in a form of a sync synchronization license, which must be obtained from the copyright owner. Generally, that's usually a record label and a music publishing company. So if you don't receive these rights, you might get one of these dreaded DMCA takedown notices, which is related to the DMCA, which is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act that applies copyright law to the digital world and creates a safe harbor and a takedown procedure where if – a copyright owner sees that their work is being infringed on, such as music being used, unauthorized on a stream or on a big YouTube video, they can send a takedown notice to an ISP, an internet service provider like YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or Spotify, to take down the illegal use and to have them take it down. And in order for the ISP to have this safe harbor and not be liable for copyright infringement, they must comply with this takedown notice. There's a counter notice, so if you do have rights to it, you can say, oh, I do have rights. But ultimately, if you are using a major track and haven't secured rights from the owners of it, which is usually the label and the publisher, you probably don't have rights to use it. There are opportunities for accounts to be white-listed and for the rights to be properly monetized. But ultimately, using a song that you haven't secured rights to in your work could subject the account to being you know, receiving a strike or receiving, you know, being suspended or terminated or having the content muted or blacked out. So it's really important that streamers and gamers are aware of, you know, any third party music that they're using in their work and on stream and who owns it. And, and, you know, to kind of bring it towards the end, there are some legal options that might be used in order to avoid potential DMCA takedown notices. So there's what's called the Creative Commons License, which has a whole list of royalty-free music that's free for use, but it's only really for non-commercial content, which obviously if you are you know have ads on or monetizing a video, that's a commercial purpose. However, there are royalty-free tunes, which for a one-time payment without residual royalties, what to use the music on stream or in a video. There are also music libraries that have copyright-free or no copyright ones where no creators is, is claiming any rights in anything, and it's just you can use it freely for commercial or non-commercial purposes. And then there's actually been a creator of licensed music from libraries or catalogs where you could pay a monthly or yearly subscription fee to get access to use certain music. So overall, it's really important that gamers and streamers are aware of You know the different legal ramifications of playing and utilizing music while gaming or on stream and making content, and there are now unique ways to obtain legally obtain background music. As some stream platforms are actually providing the streamer the ability to use certain music, as well as clearing directly with the labels and the publishers. So I really appreciate everyone kind of listening and. As mentioned, there's a lot of different legal issues that professional gamers or streamers or content creators should be aware of, as these are just a few to kind of get everyone out there thinking about what could be. So it's best to reach out and work with a competent and experienced professional, such as an attorney, who can advise and assist you and make sure as a professional gamer or streamer or any other individual in this space, you're doing the proper things. You're handling your business properly. You're protecting yourself. And you're protecting your business assets, which is you. So make sure to you know reach out to me with any questions you have. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And as mentioned, you can find me at Twitter, at Justin JustinJESQ. So definitely opening the floor to any questions that you might have. So we have a question of what well, legal advice you have for someone trying to build their own game studio. I think that it's really important to be aware of all the different opportunities that exist and to make sure that you have you know proper llc's in place trademark protection for your game studio name copyright protection for the game make sure you have agreements in place with whoever's working on the different components of the game you have developers the beta testers the admins everyone that's contributing any copyrightable or unique ip there should be agreements with them and make sure that it's all owned by the entity and the game developer themselves and before you select a name you and do a trademark search a trademark screening search where you kind of look and identify any potential um other competing names you might you know when you figure out the game title you might be developing you might want to do a similar thing to make sure you own it So, there's a lot of unique stuff that a game studio might do to protect their IP, which is their game, as well as ensure that anyone that's working on the game is properly done. Then, you obviously, if you have employees, there's all kinds of employment law issues that go into that, depending on if they're full time or independent contractors. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation in itself. But,. You know, again, if you're using non-U.S. versus U.S. employees, you might have visa considerations. And again, when you're creating an entity to kind of operate from to receive funding that you might use to license the game for a different distribution, if you're just developing it, that could be another benefit.
0: We do have another question right here. How do you make sure that copyright-free audio is not striked down on stream in-game and have to go through the process of showing receipts and records after the fact? um
1: i mean ultimately there are these different digital audio recognition softwares that kind of scan this stuff and you know if it gets flagged and it's wrong you just have to dispute it there's really you know that's why the process exists where if you know you do have the rights to it and the strike is issued you just dispute it and if you could prove right because you have a license or you know some other document says that you could do it then they'll you know, fix it because that's kind of the purpose of it.
0: Yeah, I know with like, because I'm a Twitch streamer. And so like for Fortnite, for example, there's a lot of copy copyright, not copyright free music. And so they have a way where you can turn all that off in game. So when you stream it, you don't get copyright strikes. But also I like, I have personal permission from the artist for my theme song, right? I've had it for like, I don't know, nine years or something and so if there was ever like because all that stuff is automated right it's not a person going through all the twitch streams saying oh that's Mm -hmm. copyright stricken so if once you get permission i would hope that they have some kind of way to manually say oh this person can use this music and then you know flick a switch or whatever yeah and there's be a lot of these
1: platforms have whitelisting capabilities where you know the rights holder can be like yes this account can use this song or can use all of our songs so uh-huh. you know if you're working with a label and you're doing a campaign with them they're going to whitelist your video because they
0: want it to be done properly as well i know that there is a, a radio station that plays on twitch and they play you know they play whatever music, but they have that license to do that, you know? And a lot of people think that, oh, well, if they're playing that, then I can just play it on my channel. And that is not necessarily the case at all.
1: That is definitely not the case because like you said, they have a license, they're paying money for it. There's the proper rights are in place. And if you don't have the proper rights, you could potentially put yourself in the bad position where you could get a strike. You could lose your account. And, you know, ultimately everybody wants to use the popular songs, that's why they're valuable that's why you have to pay for them
0: yeah and i've also had a i've had to do a dmca takedown on somebody because they used my content as actually they went they live stream them coming into my live stream and harassing me and so i got a dmca takedown of their video so that you know because it's they're using my content in a way that i don't approve of and they they had a big stink about that, like, "Oh, you did that illegally." Well, no you you cannot do you cannot go through the whole DMCA process and and it get taken down and it be illegal, right? If you're trying to take some DMCA content down illegally, you'll get they'll know before it actually gets taken down.
1: Yeah, they have the kind of the process where you can dispute, it and if you can't prove when it's
0: disputed, then they won't take
1: it down. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Okay, so we got another question here from Neoware, which he said, great talk. They said, great talk. What are some common legal mistakes made by game developers?
1: I mean, I think a big thing is not realizing the full potential of your IP rights, the ancillary rights, you know, as we see a lot of, you know, IP being developed for movies and TV shows and, you know, Netflix and all these other streaming platforms is realizing that, you know, as a game You know, game developer, you're creating unique IP, you're creating characters, you're creating storylines, you're creating, you know, worlds within worlds, these mystical, you know, environments and whatnot. And there's value in that from, you know, merchandise, physical and digital to, you know, the ancillary derivative works, such as, you know, TV shows and movies and, Mm -hmm. you know, anything else that could be made on it. So, you know, not realizing that. And then again, as I mentioned, not securing all the rights, to anyone that's working on it, is making sure that you're properly protected if you're working with third parties that are developing parts for you. Or if you're, you know, outsourcing certain stuff that those people are doing the right stuff and are not subjecting you to potential liability for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to have proper guidance, to have proper proper agreements in place, have the proper trademarks and copyrights that we mentioned earlier to protect your games, protect the you know the game title and the different characters in it.
0: Okay, so here's a question, and this kind of hits home for me. Um, how about because you're talking about copyright and trademark? So my Twitch channel is Twitch.tv/Indie, I N D I E, and that's a very common common word, right? So how so would somebody go about go about like what would your be your suggestion if I wanted to trademark that or copyright that or whatever?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think if you're like, you know, providing, you know, live streaming services as indie and there's, you know, that's kind of what you've been doing for a long time. There's no one else is kind of doing it. You might apply for trademark protection in that, you know, there might be other similar people in it. But depending on, you know, as we mentioned, you know, when you started to use it and how, you know, robust and how well known you are you might have different rights in it. And if no one else is calling themselves indie and been streaming on Twitch for that long and, you know, having, you know, merchandise and a website and all those other things, building out your brand and promoting it, you have a good argument that that's who you are. You know, Mm. you don't own indie for car companies or, you know, soda, but you could for entertainment services and, you know, live streaming services. So You know, it all kind of depends on how you're using it and how you're promoting it to the
0: public. So it wouldn't be like copywriting the word. No, it would be trademarking it. Trademarking the word indie, even though if it's trademarked for other things. I mean, as long as it's not like too similar to what you're doing, potentially, because it's
1: entertainment, there might be other indie. So it might be a really cluttered space and it might not be, you know, as easy as, you know, you might want or. But that's why you do these trademark searches where you search to see what else is out there. Because, you know, gaming space is a little different than movies or TV, but it mm. might be similar. So, you know, you don't know until you know.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I should have done it uh, when I stream, was streaming full time. And when you would search in on Google, if you just typed in the word Indie, I was like one of the top five always searches. It's not that way anymore, but... So where would I I just go indie trademark search and then or trademark search and then type that word in?
1: Well, there's you know, so the USPTO has the TESS, which is their trademark searching platform, and you know, then there are other kind of different databases and searches you can use. And it's important when you're doing these searches to you know search different combinations, different verbiage, you know, not just indie as spelled, indie without the I, indie with two E's, because You know, there's different phonetic equivalents and things that are confusingly similar. So it's really important to get a real broad perspective on what is out there so you can best advise. And, you know, once you know what's out there, it lets you know how you're supposed to
0: operate. Okay, that's good. Uh, So NeoWare has another question. If you have little budget to register your game, whoops, what should you focus on? Trademarking first? I mean, I think... You know, ultimately,
1: when you're building a company, you definitely want to make sure that you know your name of your company is clear, and that you know if you're building around that as this is who you are, that's definitely really important. But you know, having contracts in place with people that are developing the game and protecting the game is probably pretty crucial as well, because you know the whole business model is based on the game. So you want to make sure that you own the rights to the game, and that anyone who's contributing to it, you own their contribution. So, you know, again, you want to kind of do these things. A lot of these things are kind of initial you do at the beginning because they're that important that you need to get them done first. You know, if you're launching a company, you want to make sure you own the name. You want to make sure it's clear. You don't want to spend money on a website, on a logo, on business cards, on all these things promoting a name if you don't know that you can own the name. You know, you don't want to get a social media account and domains and spend money if you then find out you can't own the name. That seems like a lot of wasted time and money. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, because your game is what you're selling, you want to make sure that's done properly too. You want to make sure it's done properly from the get-go. You don't want, you know, a developer who's been working on it for three months to be like, oh, wait, well, actually, I co-own the game with you and, you know, you don't own all the rights to it and this, that, and the third and, you know then it's like oh no what do i do now whereas if you kind of take those things and determine them head-on in writing you don't have to have that conversation that conversation shouldn't happen so you know a lot of these things are things you do up front
0: so that you can you know properly protect your business as it grows so what what's what's like the basic what's the difference between trademarking and copywriting So a trademark applies to just, you know, a specific name or a
1: logo, a brand, whereas copyright is for a creative work. So that's protection for creative work. So an image, a song, a photo, a movie, a TV show that could be copyrighted. Whereas a trademark is, you know, a company name, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, um, Tropicana, Ninja, you know, Dr. Lupo, Dr. Disrespect, PewDiePie. Mm -hmm. You know, Madonna, The Rolling Stones. So, Jay would you Z. trademark
0: or copyright your logo? You could do
1: both. You copyright the logo design because that's you know an image, that's a design, and then you could also trademark the logo because that's you know the trademark. So, if you think about McDonald's, they have you know their name McDonald's, they have the Golden Arches trademark, they have the logo trademark. So, it's like all these different assets that that
0: indicate their brand. Okay. Uh, Here's another question from Joker. When forming your studio, since it is. Oh, wait, here we go. I, I missed that question. What is the average budget for trademarking, copywriting for a game company? I mean, I think that, you know, the trade copyrights are, you know, a bit you know
1: less costly you know the filing fee alone is you know 65 dollars versus you know trademark is 250 per you know filing class so you know already you're talking about four times more just from the filing fees alone so you know it really kind of depends on the you know if you need a search and you know how many classes you're going for but it could be between fifteen hundred two thousand dollars for a trademark, depending. You know, copyright could be you know four or five hundred, depending on you know how complex it is and you know what's needed in it. So you know, obviously, it, it differentiates based on the amount of classes you want to do and you know how you know f- how much stuff there is out there
0: and you know how complicated it is. Okay. One final question. When forming your studio, since it is mainly digital online, do you register it through your local state territory, your country or international? Well,
1: usually you would, you know, this is again, as we mentioned earlier, um, you want to look at, you know, talk to an accountant or CPA, someone who can really give you the idea on what's most beneficial to you. But it could be where you're located, where the studio is located, where your office is. Or where you're intending to operate at, or you know, if you're trying to become a publicly traded entity, there might be different benefits for certain states. You know, if you're not a citizen of a certain state that you want to use, there might be additional costs to form an entity. You might have to get a registered agent in that state, which is another cost. So depending on how much you're able to spend, it may be cheaper to form it in the state that you live in, just because you can use your address and you don't have to pay additional income tax. Cause if you have a you know, a corporation in a different state, you have to pay all your personal income tax in your state. Then you also have to do all the corporate income tax in that other state for that other entity. So it all really depends on you know where you're operating from, what your business is trying to develop into, and you know what your funds are like. If you're if you have you know a lot of money and you're trying to be this huge publicly traded entity that gets millions of dollars. That's different than, Mm -hmm. you know, something you're just trying to develop a game with your friends and, you know, maybe it'll do well on Steam. You know, so there's all levels to it. And based on, you know, what budget you have, you might have to start locally. And then if you do get a big investment, then maybe you do make a new entity in, you know, Nevada or Wyoming or Delaware, and then you assign all the rights to it. So maybe you start locally because it's more cost effective and then you grow to something bigger that might have better tax implications or give you more flexibility. But why spend extra money if you don't have the need or don't have the ability to do it? So, Mm -hmm. you know, again, you know, each individual is different and where you're located will definitely have a factor in it. But overall, you know, how much you can spend now and how much you're trying to you know grow and raise definitely factors into it
0: that's awesome so i'm guessing you became a game attorney because you like games right yes i I definitely enjoy
1: myself some video games you know probably more than i care to admit but you know so what's
0: what's the game you're playing right now
1: I'm always been a big 2K guy, so that's like my usual go-to. But you know, I've been playing you know multiverses, which is fun. I've been this, you know big StarCraft and StarCraft Two guy. And, you know, I got some mobile games on my phone that really kind of keep me m- more busy than I probably should be on it. Mm-hmm. But you know, this Marvel no, no snapping, I'm so bad at first-person shooters. Like I tried, but like that's just not like I'm the guy that
0: lands first and gets killed right like so i played Fortnite, like and then they bit you know i i was terrible at building so i stopped playing but now they have the new build mode and man i'm getting wins i'm doing <laughs> great and i am Maybe not I good at all now i yeah i am not good at all but I, you know i came in third just just my last game i played and then i got my wins and I, it's it just seems like it's a lot more fun than it used to be well this is awesome thank you so much we really appreciate your time and this talk next, and also I would like to thank Tripwire Presents for sponsoring us. Next, we're going to talk with Lula Mille Mohapi uh, from—he's the CEO and founder of Fish Knife Game Labs. Uh, we're going to be talking about African games and market relevance, which that should be interesting. So, thanks so much, Justin. Have a good one, everyone, and thanks for having me. Bye.